Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, good morning and welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. It is good to gather this crackly weekend. Uh, this is just fireworks on the stage, so it's all good. Um, wait, Jordan, was that to me? Okay. Um, we are glad that a few of us get to be here. We have lots of folks traveling, and uh, I want to say thank you to our worship team. Uh, they came together last minute to lead us in music today. Uh, as of Wednesday, we didn't have a team to lead us, and God provided in very short order, and so thank you very much for uh, stepping in and leading us and serving us this way. Many of us got to gather yesterday and celebrate Betty and her life and to thank God for his work in and through her. And it seems um, very appropriate to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Yesterday, uh, we got to celebrate in Betty the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus applied to someone just like us. And to remember how God works through his people for his good and his glory. And, and, and now... Betty is face-to-face with her risen Lord. And that's an amazing thought. As we remember and as we partake, it works. Jesus wins. And we, his saints, end up with him forever. It's good to be be able to to partake of the Lord's Supper today as as we celebrate and grieve uh, Betty's passing. It's also um, very obvious that I'm not Pastor Steve and that the Lestons are not in their row. Uh, We had a wonderful service last week sending them. They were blessed and encouraged, and uh, in a few weeks, they will be moving down to Texas to uh, really dive into ministry through to every tribe there. And next week, Pastor Dave DeHaan and his family will be here. Uh, Dave's our interim pastor who will be starting a new series for us uh, from 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians is the next book we will be going through together, and that will start uh, next week. And today I have the privilege of being here. And as I thought and prayed and and talked with our elders and leaders about what's the right sermon? What's the bridge sermon between Pastor Steve and and Pastor Dave? And as we talked and prayed and we settled on um, the command that remains for us. The Great Commission is Jesus' command to make disciples. and, And that command stands regardless of who's in this pulpit. And so that's what we're going to focus on today, because that is what we are about, no matter who is here uh, preaching. As we go through the Great Commission today, often uh, we think of it as a missions sermon, because it does say, after all, make disciples of all nations, right? And so often uh, traveling missionaries will preach the Great Commission as a mission sermon. And it is very much that. Jesus fully intends to make disciples of, of all nations, But as we walk through the Great Commission today, um, I I hope that we can tweak our thinking a little bit about it, because the universal part of this command that we're going to walk through today is make disciples. That is the part that applies to every single one of us. The the personal part, the particular part, is where you're going to do that. And Jesus fully intends for some to go, because there are people far away that don't have access to the name of Jesus, that don't know who he is, that need to meet him so that they can follow him. And so God intentionally scatters some of his people 
to the ends of the earth to make disciples. And that is good, and we celebrate that, and we honor that, and we support them, and we pray for them, and we're glad that God does that. And at the same time, God calls some of us to stay because this is one of the nations that he intends to bless through King Jesus. Jesus intends to make disciples right here where he chose to put us. So we want to honor and celebrate Ambria and Ron and Jen and the Lestons and Tim and others as they go. And the reality is that there are some of us sitting here today that probably will also be going at some point. But there's many of us who will never leave. And that doesn't change our call to be faithful with the Great Commission. And so as we walk through this passage today, let's affirm and celebrate that God scatters people to fulfill the Great Commission. And let's affirm and celebrate that God keeps people to fulfill the Great Commission. Because he intends to make disciples of all nations, including this one. So we, we love and we encourage and we support our missionaries as they go. And we want to love our neighbors well and help them meet Jesus and help them follow Jesus. So as we walk through this, um, don't just kind of file it away as a missions sermon that you can tune out of if you don't think you're a missionary. This is for all of us. And KBC, particularly for us as a church, remember that Faithfulness to the Great Commission does not depend on who stands in this pulpit. Faithfulness to the Great Commission is about making disciples, and we will be held responsible for that regardless of who's in this pulpit. So we have individual responsibility to make disciples near and far, and we have a corporate responsibility to make disciples near and far. And we love our pastors, we love our pastor-teacher, but being faithful does not depend on who is in this pulpit. My goal in walking us through this passage is to push and to affirm the process of making disciples as something that every single one of us is supposed to be devoted to. I, I really want you to be talking about making disciples at the lunch table today. And I want you to be thinking about making disciples and introducing people to Jesus when you drive to work on Tuesday and when you sit with friends tomorrow and when you take your child to the play date and interact with the other moms, those are the places that Jesus is intentionally sending us to. And so as, as the outcome of this sermon, I really want to, to push and anchor our thinking in those settings to say here is where Jesus intends for me to participate in making disciples. That's my goal. Let's pray, um, then we'll, we'll read the text and dive into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us today. Thank you so much that we get to remember um, a crucified king who, before time began, knew this was going to happen, and as Jeff reminded us, who uh, moved very intentionally to the sacrifice that he would make. So we remember that king crucified. And we remember a king risen and victorious, ruling over all of creation, where his redeemed saints are worshiping. And among them is our dear Betty. And we are grateful that you have won King Jesus. We are grateful that you gather trophies of your grace. 
and we long to be faithful as we make our way home to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Our first point is uh, the volume, and this, by the way, has nothing to do with hair volume. Um, if this was the 80s, that would be a valid question. You know, big hair was in. Um, I never had big hair. I certainly don't now, and so this point has nothing to do with that. But let's start with the opening sentence of the Great Commission, and the first verse of it is often taken as a guarantee of success or a point of encouragement, and it is that. But I would say there's also more to it than that. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There isn't much that needs to be said by way of restatement about that verse. The English is plain. The grammar is simple. We understand it. All authority that exists everywhere has been given to Jesus. Very conveniently, the moment that Jesus is referring to is recorded for us in the Bible. Uh, the, Daniel records a vision where he sees this moment, and he records it in Daniel 7. It says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, that is Jesus, and this passage also, by the way, explains why he really used that title a lot, referring to himself. He didn't refer to himself as Messiah frequently, he used son of man, and this is why. There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and he was presented before him. And to him, to Jesus, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. There is an, an eternal moment that took place when God the Son was brought before God the Father, and the Father said, all power, all authority is yours. You receive an eternal kingdom that encompasses everything I have ever made. All authority, all power has been given to Jesus. And he chooses to reference that as he starts the Great Commission. This is a great reminder for us that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It is a totalitarian monarchy. There are no elections, there are no referendums, there are no checks and balances, there is no division of power. All the power rests with Jesus. All of it, forever. There's not even a dynasty in the kingdom of heaven because there's one king that rules forever. He has no heirs because he always reigns. As Americans, I think this is particularly difficult for us to understand. One of our founding mottos as a nation was we serve no sovereign here. But we do. We do live under a sovereign. We serve an eternal sovereign with all power. Verse 18 in the Great Commission, I think is more about obedience than it is about encouragement. You know the old... um, PA systems in schools, the ones that piped announcements and so forth into all the classrooms and all the rooms. I don't know if they're still used or not. It's been a while since I was in an institution where such a device was used. Um, But at least in the movies or TV shows, you still kind of see them sometimes. And it's always right as the teacher is making this amazing point, all of a sudden crackling speakers start up and attention, attention, this is your principal speaking. 
and then he has some announcement to make. Well, in this verse, Jesus is turning on the mic to the APA system, and he is cranking the volume up all the way. And he says, attention, attention, this is your king speaking. And when the king of kings and the lord of lords says, pay attention, I have something to say, that's a good moment to silence the cell phones and get rid of every other distraction and listen. What, what is it that our king has to say that he gets our attention so powerfully with? When he says, listen, every bit of authority that exists anywhere is mine. Listen up. Listening is, is a good thing to do. And that's where the command comes in, our second point. Here's that once Jesus has our attention, this is the command that he gives us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Let's break this command down, and we can kind of work through the various parts of it as we work through it. Uh, The operative imperative, the part that we have to do something with, the operative imperative, I might have made that phrase up, I don't know, but it seems like it works. The operative imperative of this command is not go. The part we have to do something with is make disciples. That's important. The command in the Great Commission that we have to obey, it's either what we are disobedient to or what we are obedient to, is make disciples. Jesus cleared the air, turned the system on, cranked the volume, and issued his command. Attention, attention. This is your king speaking. Go make disciples. Make disciples. That's the command. And KBC, that's what we are going to be held accountable for. Make disciples. So let's build a little list so that we can keep track of this. The command, make disciples. But in this statement, Jesus also addresses the the locale. He tells us where we are to make disciples. Everywhere. That's That's what all nations means practically. It means wherever there are people living, make disciples there. So that covers everywhere. But as you hear that everywhere, don't think of other people. Don't think that you are being unfaithful or unfruitful or disobedient if you don't get a passport and move. Because this nation includes everywhere, and your neighbors are included in that everywhere. The where, so our list is growing, the command, make disciples. Where? Everywhere. What about the how? What does the statement that Jesus makes say about how we are to make disciples? There's two instructions for us, and then there's some modifiers, and we'll get to those. But here's the how. Baptize and teach. That's the how. That is how we are to make disciples. Baptize and teach. If those two things are uh, the means through which we keep this command, through which we're to be faithful, then it's worth taking a look at. If you're in a class and your teacher or professor says, uh, here's what's on the exam that you need to know, and here's how you do it, you pay attention. If you care about that class and if you want to learn what you need to learn and if you want to get a good grade, when the professor says, here's what you need to do, what you need to know, and here's how you do it, 
You pay attention to that moment. And this is one of those moments. Jesus tells us exactly what he wants done, and he tells us how to do it. Here's how Jesus wants his disciples made. First, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Has anybody else wondered why baptizing them takes such a priority in the Great Commission? I, I have long wondered that. That was growing up, my parents were missionaries. I heard the Great Commission a lot. I'm really glad for it. But it was, it was a missions passage. I heard it a lot. And I always wondered, why is baptizing so important? And why the Trinity there? I didn't really get it. But it's important because baptism is the threshold. That is the you're in or you're out kind of moment. It's a point of decision, and Jesus makes it really, really important right here. Now, when I say that it's a point of decision, that it's the threshold, it's the in or out moment, I'm not saying that baptism is a requirement for salvation. Jesus already covered all the requirements. We celebrated that today. The requirements are met. Baptism is not a requirement. And yet, we have this, this reality that it's really important to Jesus. And baptism is very important because it sets the tone for our relationship with Jesus. How you begin a relationship really impacts everything that follows in that relationship. And baptism is the first step in the, in the relationship with Jesus. There's two ways that baptism sets the tone for our relationship with Jesus. First, baptism is an act of obedience. It's the first thing that a follower of Jesus does to obey him. It's the first way that we obey Jesus. This is why it's important to be baptized. If you are a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized, get baptized. He commanded it. Be obedient. Get baptized. When Jesus says get baptized and we begin our relationship with him, our relationship with him begins with a tone of obedience. Jesus is primarily king. Before he is anything else, he is king. As his subjects, our first response is to obey. So the king says, get baptized, we obey. And now, all of a sudden, the relationship between Jesus and his followers is established as, as one who gives commands and one who obeys commands. We are to obey. Baptism sets the stage for that. The second um, way that baptism sets the tone for the relationship with Jesus is that baptism is an act of identification. Um, this, is why the baptism, this is why followers of Jesus are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to illustrate it from another religion in another culture because we don't have something like this outside of this command. Our culture doesn't have something like this. But most world religions, most religions, big and small, in fact, around the world, have baptism in one form or another as part of their rituals, whether it is a, a cleansing, a bathing, a dipping in water. Somehow, baptism is a part of almost all religions. In Hinduism's home regions, so think India and Nepal and that part of the world, most of the temples, especially the main temples, are either by a river or have a pool of water associated with them, either inside the temple or right outside the temple. 
especially when that temple is the main one to the God. They have like 300 million something gods, and so um, there's a lot of temples. But when it's the main temple to a God, there's always water there. And the reason is, is because the worshipers gather and they bathe in that river or in that pool. And in the process, they're saying, this is my God. Of the 300 million gods that I could choose as a Hindu, this one whose river I am in right now is my God. This is why a lot of Christian churches in India have baptistries outside, out front, so that as people get baptized, the culture around them, their town recognizes, oh, so-and-so just identified with that Jesus. Baptism is an identification, and it meant that to the people that when, when Jesus was giving this command, they understood that. We, we tend to not as much, but baptism is identification. Now, we don't believe that anything mystical happens in the baptismal waters. We use Sycamore City water in a horse trough in a gym. The only thing special about that might be the odor. Um, there is nothing mystical that happens when we have baptisms here. There's nothing about the water, but it is identification with the Trinity. This is why um, it's, it's a Trinitarian baptism. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when that new follower of Jesus goes under the water with the Trinity like that, they're saying, I identify with God the Father who before time existed devised a plan that involved creation and redemption and uniting all things in Christ. And I identify with God the Son who created time and space and earth and me and then redeemed me and is making me his own forever. And I identify with God the Spirit who me of my sin, who wrote the Bible and who helps me understand it, who lives inside me as a promise that what God began before he flipped the sun on, he is going to complete in making me part of all that he is united, uniting in Christ. When, when we say that baptism is an identification, it means that we are entering into all that God is doing and all of who God is, and we are rejecting everything else. It's very important to remember, when you choose one thing, you reject everything else. When I chose Sarah as my wife, I rejected every other woman gladly. She's amazing. <laughs> when we are baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we are intentionally rejecting everything else we could live for. Now, for us, it's easy to reject the 300 million, 300 something million gods of Hinduism. That one's easy for us. But we are also rejecting Americanism as a god, not as being citizens of this nation, but as something to worship. We are rejecting uh, materialism, consumerism, individualism. Those are harder for us to fully reject. But in the process of getting baptized and identifying solely with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are rejecting everything else. Nothing else is to have sway or control over a follower of Jesus. So baptism sets the tone by making our relationship with Jesus primarily one of obedience. He is king and we obey. And second, it sets the tone by identifying us with him as we intentionally reject everything else. 
By the way, baptism is the first step in the relationship. So our I did not understand all this when I got baptized. But I knew that I, I belonged to Jesus and he told me to get baptized, so I obeyed. The rest God filled in over the years since then. And that's okay. That's fair. You don't have to go to seminary before you get baptized. Baptism is the first part of how we make disciples. So our little list is growing. We have the command to make disciples. Where? Everywhere. How? Baptize. Why? To obey and to identify. How about the teach part of how we're to make disciples? How do we do that? Modernity was built on the notion that education is the solution for what ails humans. Life was a mess. If we educate people, if we get people the right information, they will make better decisions and their lives will get better and the world will get better and the mess that we are in will go away. We need to educate everybody. We need to provide the information. That didn't quite work out so well, did it? There's a lot of education, there's a lot of information. We have access to more knowledge than we have ever, than has ever existed in the past. And yet what ails humanity continues because that's not the solution. But we have to keep in mind that as we read, teach, our thinking has been informed by modernity. And we can often approach that thinking, well, we need to provide the right information then. If we are supposed to teach, we need to inform people. We need to have classes. We need to give them books to read. We need to listen to more sermons and read some blogs. You will be better informed, and you will succeed as a disciple. But there's a, a different slant on teaching that Jesus has here. Jesus didn't say inform them as if, getting the information out was all that was needed. What, what did he say? Let's look at Jesus' specific words. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The teaching of discipleship that Jesus wants us to do is not just informative. We're not just to convey information and hope that the right thing comes of that information. We do need to convey information. We do need to have doctrine classes. We do need to teach. We do need to educate. We need the information. But if all we're doing is passing on information, we're actually still failing at the Great Commission. What are we supposed to be teaching? Obedience. We're supposed to be teaching obedience. When it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, information isn't the goal. Knowledge without obedience is failing when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. Obedience is the goal. Now, as I say this, I am not making a works righteousness religion. I am not saying that you have to do more work to stay right with God. But I'm going to point us to a tension that Jesus leaves us with, and I'm going to let that tension hang because he chose to do that, so I think it's safe. Listen to Jesus' words in John. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be 
my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. The Apostle Paul, um, both at the beginning and the end of the book of Romans, says that the, the point of his apostleship, the point of his work, is the obedience of faith among the nations. His, the Apostle Paul's goal wasn't just faith. It wasn't just knowledge. It was the obedience of faith. The Apostle, Paul, Apostle John in, in uh, 1 John said, You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. The requirement for practical outworking of our faith in God is throughout the Bible. On the one hand, Jesus has done all of the work needed to reconcile us to himself, to make us his children, to bring us into his kingdom. We remember and we celebrate that today. On the other hand, throughout the Bible is this very clear sense that if you really belong to God, it will be evident. And so the command isn't just to informed, it's to teach obedience. Being a follower of King Jesus is terribly practical business. If we follow Jesus, it is going to be evident in the small moments of life everywhere we turn. And if it's not, if we are not obeying, if we are not growing in obedience to King Jesus, then we need to do some introspection and spend some time with God because perhaps our salvation isn't as complete and sure as we think. Jesus intends for his lordship over us, his salvation of us, to have very practical implications in our life. The command, our list is growing. We have now the command, make disciples. Where? Everywhere. How do we do that? We baptize for obedience and for identification, and we teach to obedience because Jesus intends following him to be tangible and visible and practical. At the beginning of this passage, Jesus turns on the PA, kind of crackles, he cranks up the volume, says, attention, attention, everyone. This is your king speaking. I have a command for you. Make loyal, obedient followers of me everywhere. Make loyal, obedient followers of me everywhere. Okay, so in the command, Jesus gave us the kind of the practical how. We have to baptize and teach, and he unfolded those two for us a bit. But there's an emotional, when you really hear that command, when you hear um, the fullness of what Jesus intends us to do, at the full volume with which he proclaims it, from verse 18, um, there's kind of an emotional, how do I do that, that comes up. How in the world can average people like you and I, with our unanswered questions and some nagging doubts and maybe messy lives and our lack of understanding, how in the world can we be faithful to this? How can we make loyal, obedient followers of Jesus? And he has the most amazing answer for us. 
This is where the confidence comes in, our last point. It's the last part of verse 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus was with his disciples towards the end of his life, he said, guys, it is really good for me that I'm going to leave so that the Spirit can come. How many of us have, you don't have to raise your hand, but I am, uh, have really wished that Jesus was here so we could ask him a question? You know, that like, boy, if you had dinner with Jesus, what would you ask him? And, you know, kind of come up with our list of questions or things we want to know. Well, when Jesus was having dinner with his disciples, he's sitting across the table, he said, it's better for you that I leave and the Spirit comes. Because while Jesus was physically here, he was sitting on the other side of the table. But when he left and his Spirit came, he is now inside us. That really is better. We think somehow that him sitting over there is better, but he's inside us. That's amazing. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who just reminded us that all authority belongs to him. His spirit lives inside us. He could not be more intimate with us than he is already. When he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, he's saying, my spirit is with you forever. When we die, that doesn't change. We are just with Jesus all the more. Jesus is with us. And because, so we have his spirit inside us, and because all power and authority are his, we are where we are by his choice. So it's his choice that you have the job that you have, that you have the very desk with your desk neighbors that you do. It's God's choice that you go to that play date with those other moms it's, it's God's choice that you go back to your extended family at holidays. It's, it's God's choice that you have the address that you do. And if those are all God's choice, and the Spirit of God is with you, then as you sit down as you, at your desk, and as you drive to that play date, as you walk into your family gathering, and as you pull into your driveway, King Jesus is with you. When he said, make loyal, obedient followers of me everywhere, he didn't just send us out on our own. He comes with us. And more specifically, he chooses exactly where you're going to be and how he's going to use you. I've never shepherded a family through the valley of the shadow of death before. I've never, never performed a funeral before. And when we got the call that Betty had passed away and I was walking to my car to drive and spend some time with her family, and God reminded me of this truth and he anchored me with this truth. God could have called Betty home six days prior and Steve would have been the one driving to that house. God chose to have me do it, not because I'm superior anyway. I did get to use Spanish as I interacted with him, so that was awesome. But God chose. And this truth anchored me as I went. I'm driving there very, very aware of the fact that I am insufficient, that I don't have what it takes at that moment. But this passage 
tells me that even though I don't have what it takes, I've got the Spirit, and the Spirit's got this. He has what it takes because all authority is his. And that anchored me throughout my interactions with them. We don't have it. We don't, we don't got this moment that God chooses for us to be in. But we've got him. And he's got it. Because all authority is his. That's the point. Through the Great Commission, our king demands obedience. And as we obey, we find that obeying the Great Commission, obeying our king, demands faith. Obeying King Jesus will continually force us to faith. King Jesus never leaves us comfortable, but he never leaves our side. Following King Jesus will continually push us to faith, and he is always there with us. Let's wrap this up. Whether we go far away whether we stay right here. We affirm both. We affirm those that go. We affirm those that stay. And for both, the command is make disciples. Faithfulness does not demand another time zone or another zip code. Faithfulness demands making disciples. KBC, regardless of who is in this pulpit, the command to make disciples stands. That is what we are responsible for. Steve's departure doesn't change that. Awaiting our next long-term pastor teacher doesn't put that command on hold. Whether we go or whether we stay, the command is make disciples. Helping people meet and follow Jesus is not a solo process. It is not a boomerang that you can play alone. You need to do it with other people. We need each other. And in the coming months, we're going to take some very intentional steps together to grow as disciple makers. There's a lot more for us to unpack about what it means to, to be and to make disciples and about how we can be established and equipped in the process. And we're going to make sure that we get to do that together as a church body. I have a request for you, a homework assignment. I really want to know what obstacles trip you up in the process of following Jesus and of helping others follow him. I want to know, what is, what is hard? Where do you need help being and making a disciple? So catch me after church, email, call, text, stop by the office. Um, let's talk about it. I'm not going to have quick and easy answers. I don't need to because God made us a body. And together, God intends for us to make disciples. And what I lack in an ability to make disciples and to help people meet and follow Jesus, he makes up for with you. And what you lack, he makes up for with us. I saw this so clearly yesterday. Well, and a few days before that, too. As I was with Betty's family, a dear, dear family that... Um, does not know Jesus as, as Lord and Savior. Um, we were talking about funeral arrangements, and I asked if they wanted uh, a lunch afterwards, and they kind of hesitantly said, 
yes. And I said, well, we would love to provide that for you. And they were amazed. I had to kind of reiterate that several times so that it was clear. We, no, you don't have to pay. You're not, you're not paying us to do this. You're not buying anything. You're not, it's not that we do 50% of the work and you do 50% of the work. We do it. And, and, and that was an amazing moment that moved them to tears as they experienced the love of God. And then uh, yesterday, as I was saying goodbye to the family, um, I was asked, what do we need to do to clean up? You know, how, what do we, what, what's left for us to do around here? And I said, nothing. I said, we've got this. And there, you have no responsibility for this facility or this meal whatsoever. And they were, again, amazed at God's love. They, 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 it was, I, I firmly believe that the provision of that meal was the most tangible way they have experienced God's love yet. Not because Betty didn't love them well. Betty loved them really well. But that was mom and wife. And so they expected that. But we're strangers to them. And we showered them with love. I had the privilege of telling them of God's love when I was with them and and through the service. You got to show them God's love. I couldn't have done what you did. I was in the kitchen beforehand and during watching everybody run around and get everything done. And I, I stood there and I said it out loud multiple times. Sue heard it. I said, I could never do this. There's no way. If it had been up to me, I would have called Little Caesars and provided substandard pizza and rolls of paper towels. I could not have done what you did. And it was such an amazing picture of the body of Christ coming together to together show and tell of God's love. We need each other. God chose to put us together to make disciples of where he chooses to send us tomorrow and the day after. We have to work together. And so as, we, as I hear from you what the obstacles and the struggles are, it's not that I have solutions. It's that together we have what is necessary through the Spirit of God to make followers of Jesus who will be loyal and obedient and who will make more followers of Jesus. If this is his command and all authority belongs to Jesus, you better bet that he has given us what is necessary for success. Not individually, but with his spirit and with his body. That is where it's possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being your children. Thank you that we have been able to remember and to proclaim today that the entirety of our confidence is in the life, death, and resurrection of our King Jesus. Even as we talk about the obedience required in the Great Commission and the the work that we have to do as a result of your command, our salvation doesn't hinge on that at this moment. You have made us yours forevermore, and we are grateful. And yet, you are our king, and as we hear you say so loudly, make loyal, obedient followers of me everywhere. King Jesus, we want to obey. We want to be faithful, and we are so grateful for your presence with us. We are so grateful for your spirit with us. And so we ask that you would work in us, give us eyes 
Tomorrow, as we spend time with friends and family, and Tuesday, as we work, give us eyes to see those around us the way that you intend us to, so that they can meet you and grow in obedience as your subjects, as your followers. King Jesus, we long for your glory to spread. We long for your name to be known and worshipped everywhere. In your name we pray. Thank you for joining us at Kishwaukee Bible Church. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H, bible.org.